Let us pray. Our precious Father, we thank you again for the privilege we have to gather to study your word. We trust you to teach us by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we are still on the doctrines of the church of Jesus Christ. Our text is 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. So you see, it tells you exactly what it has in mind when it talks about your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how. There is a how. You should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. There is a how. There is a how. Take note of that. You should know how. That's a how. To possess your vessels, your body, in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. New Living Translation says, God's will is for you to be holy. Now, you see, last week we talked about the doctrine of baptisms. Baptisms, it, baptism into Christ, number one, becoming part of the body of Christ, which is done by God alone, by his spirit, you do not use enticing words, manipulations to bring people to Christ. It is done by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was preaching, and he began to talk about eating his flesh, drinking his blood. Now we're talking it in this present age, and because we're used to that. But remember that these people are not, were not used to this kind of language, and so they were perplexed. And so they were arguing about it. How can this man give us his flesh and think Jesus? told them, and you can study your Bible, find out that it's true. He told them to stop that argument. He said, stop all that argument. He said, because you can't come to me except my father draws you. And in the process of that, he lost 70 people, 70 of his disciples. He didn't go to them and say, can we discuss? Let me know why you are leaving. No. He went to the remaining 12. He said, you want to leave too? And then Peter said, where are we going? You have the word of eternal life. So it's God that draws people to himself and gives them revelation of this truth. If Jesus didn't say, oh, let me, let me see how I can explain it to you. He said, no, no. You want to live too. Because you can't come except my father does this thing. So we must have that in mind. And then stop trying to entice people. You know, have to tell them, you know, uh, that you, know, you are a sinner. If you tell them, then they will see the need of Christ. That's all, that's all human mind. The scripture didn't tell you to do all of it. All we are told to do is preach the gospel. Preach the, the gospel. Don't devise means of, just preach the gospel. So water baptism signifies our burial with Christ in his death and our resurrection with him done by, by believers in Christ. Colossians 2.12 says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. That's what baptism signifies, that we are buried with him, which means you already accepted Christ. You can't be signifying what you haven't identified with. You already have accepted Christ 
So you are now signifying, yes, I've accepted him. I am buried with him and I rose with him in new life. And we said it is not salvation. Again, the scripture that confuses people a little bit and shouldn't confuse people is Matthew 16, 15. And he said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So they now bunch it together and say, see, that you have to be saved. You have to believe and be baptized before you are saved. But they didn't go on to read the last, uh, the last sentence, like I said. Because the last sentence makes it, makes it clear. He said, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So he didn't say there, he that believeth not and not baptized. So he just said, it's he that believeth not. I'm talking about. You know, so we have supporting scriptures to this. Ephesians 2, it says, God saved you by his grace. When you believed, that's when you were saved, not when you were baptized. When you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Then Acts 16, 30, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, clear question. Now, the answer comes here in verse 31. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house with. So he didn't say believe and be baptized. So we have supporting scriptures to show that what Jesus was talking about was not that baptism is part of this, makes you to be saved. No, we are saved by faith in what Christ did, period. Then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is done by the Lord himself. You know what happened in, in Acts chapter 2 from verse 1? And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there, there, there appeared unto them cloven tongues as, like as of fire. And they sat on each of them, four. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, you see, this thing that happened here, suddenly there came a mighty sound from heaven. The Holy Spirit came like this, as the Scripture teaches us, as of a rushing mighty wind. Jesus came in, in, the, in the manger. Why? Because it's the Lamb of God. You don't have a lamp in the hotel. So there was no place for him in the inn. He was born among lambs. Because he came as a lamb of God. But the Holy Spirit came with power. Rushing mighty wind. Came with power. And then he said them, and then and then and it filled the house where they were sitting. And verse 3 said, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues as like as fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. No man teaches you to speak in tongues. Any man trying to teach you after me, it's not scripture. It's the Holy Spirit that gave them the utterance, that, that inspired them to speak it, that moved them to speak it. It was not a man. Nobody said, watch what I'm doing, copy me. No. He gave it to them. So we must follow scripture strictly in these things. Now, Peter was explaining this experience that just happened in verse 33. He said, now, he is 
talking about Jesus, he's exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. So that this outpouring was a baptism that Christ himself did. Like John the Baptist said, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It is for power upon us to be witnesses for Christ. It is not for us to have eternal life. For Christ gave us eternal life. We already died and rose in newness of life. And that's what we were demonstrating. So the Holy Spirit baptism is not for life. It is not for life. First John 5, 12 says, He who has the Son has life. It's not who is baptized in the Holy Spirit. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You know, Jesus said, I came that you have life. I have it more abundantly. So this Christ in us is what produces the fruit of the Spirit. It's what every Christian should produce the character of Christ because I received that eternal life, that life of Christ. Every Christian should. In, in Philippians 1.11, it says, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, not baptism of the Holy Spirit. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. And Jesus himself was explaining this in John 15, 5, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I am in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Then anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like an, on a, a useless branch and withers. So who doesn't trust me? He can't produce anything. He's thrown away. He becomes a withered branch because life flows from me. You are attached to it. I'm the source of it. He's not talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit here. But baptism of the Holy Spirit is for power upon us. As the Lord Jesus said, we should stick with Scripture. Do not try to improve on Scripture. There's always a temptation to do that. But do not try. Leave it the way it is. God knows what he's talking about. Jesus told us why the Holy Spirit was coming. So in Acts 1, Acts 1, 8, but you, shall be, but you shall receive power. That's what he said. He didn't say you shall receive life because already we have life. You shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, what we receive is power. So all this praying for power, you just go receive the Holy Spirit and you receive the power, promised believers. You know, and after the Holy Spirit come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and unto ultimate purpose of the earth. So the purpose is to be empowered to witness for Christ, not to live the life of Christ. Being empowered by the Holy Spirit, can he do other things for your life? Of course he can. But let's stick with what Jesus said is the main purpose and not put words in his mouth. 
He said it's for power, for witnessing. And every Christian ought to receive it because we are all witnesses. Every Christian. And he said, you remember I told him, tarry in Jerusalem, don't go anywhere until you are empowered. I, I was discussing with some, the head of a denomination one time recently. And they were talking and I said, you know, sir, I said, the problem that we have is that people go to Bible college and we teach them and they come out and we make them pastors. But we never teach them that you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Number two, there are five offices in the church, sir. Everybody is a pastor. What happens to the four? I said, a church is not running on the, on the five cylinders. In every church should be all these five offices that the Holy Spirit gave to the church for building the church. That's what the Bible says. I said, God taught me this. God told me this. He said, a church should have, he said, I gave to the church gifts. And he mentioned them. There are five of them. That should be functioning. I said in the early church, they knew who were the apostles. They knew the prophets, Agabus and others. They knew the evangelists, Philip. They identified them. And they were all functioning in that gifting. And the church was growing. Now everybody is a pastor. Once you go to Bible college, you are a pastor, you are a church planter. I said, are you surprised that churches are closing? So everybody who is a Christian should receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, at least for the purpose of witnessing which all of us are called to do. So in Acts 2, again, let's read that Acts 2 verse 1 again. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and they filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared upon, upon them clothing tongues like as of fire. They sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All of them, all Christians should be able to have this experience. All the Christians at that time, all of them had it. And so the Gentiles, when the Gentiles were baptized, you know this interesting thing about how Jesus, how God introduced salvation. When somebody said that the reason that um, this, uh, this, uh, Roman soldier, was it Roman soldier? That was so good and, you know, gave arms and everything. Uh, remember his name? Remember his name? The one that uh, angels, uh, angel appeared to? Remember his name? Eh? Cornelius. Somebody said the reason that God sent uh, angels to him was because he was very good. I said, the Lord said to me, no, he said, not the reason. He said, it's not the reason. He said, when I introduced salvation to the Jews, I used the best among them to teach the world that your best can save you. That even the best among you need salvation. I used the man in whom there is no guile. And Jesus said to him, you must be born again. He said, when I began to introduce you to the Gentiles, I used the best of them. A man, the Bible said, if he had got to pray, he did all this to show the whole world, that your goodness cannot save you. If such a man needs salvation, anybody needs it. So that's the reason I chose them. Not because they were good or anything. It's just to show that 
even these ones who are good still need to be saved. So you can't, you can't say, I'm good. I don't need salvation. That's a law. That's, that's awesome. I never thought about that. Now here he is introducing baptism of the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles. He already did it to the Jews, the disciples. Now let's see what happens when he did it to the Gentiles. Acts 10, 14. When Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which had the word. Because Peter, they had struggle about this, this people, you know, be joining the, the church, becoming Christians. It was a struggle because it was a transition period when, when, when something new was happening. They were used to Moses and his laws, and the Gentiles were not part of this thing. And they were being persecuted for that, for even, you know, eating with the Gentiles. It was not permitted by the law. That's why the Bible said that the law brought a partition, but Christ came and broke it all up. And so here was Peter struggling, in spite of the visions he had. And so God knew the struggles he had. And we could say a fair struggle, because it was like all of us. And God did something amazing. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all of them. It's amazing. There's nothing like he need to he need to confess. No, he fell on all of them. Because he knew that Peter may have difficulty in going further and you know, leading them to the Lord. He might have that difficulty. So God circumvented all of that to, to introduce the, 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 to the church that the, the Gentiles are partakers of my blessings in Christ. So he said, while Peter he spoke the words, the Holy Spirit fell on all of them, which had the word. And the day of the circumcision, which believed, were astonished. <laughs> that will tell you the difficulty they were having. They were astonished. The word astonished is, I think it's surprise, or more than surprise. They were totally astonished. As many as came with Peter. They were not expecting this. Because that on the Gentiles also we are poured out the gifts of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> For they heard them speak with tongues, magnify God. Then, then, then Peter said, Why are we wasting time? Let's baptize these people now. So the evidence that they were baptized and how they knew was because they heard them speaking in tongues. So when we get baptized, we, 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 the evidence is speaking in tongues. The problem is that the church developed and became, had leaders who were sense knowledge leaders, who didn't have revelation, who didn't understand scripture. So they now began to introduce some changes to accommodate their own belief and lack of understanding because they were leaders. Theological people writing all this. So they, they say, oh, no, no if, you, if you get baptized, you may not speak in tongues because they themselves, they themselves have not spoken in tongues. So they believe their standard. And because of their position, they, they teach these things and corrupt the word. The same thing they did with, teach, with healing. John G. Lake said that in, 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 19, 19, in the early 1900s, he said that the church began to develop unbelief because of wrong teaching, and they began to teach people it may not be God's way to heal. He said because they were not being healed. The leaders were not being healed. So they thought, oh, if I'm not healed, it may not be God's way because I'm a leader. But we saw it here. The, the, how they knew that they were baptized, or well, they had them speaking tongues. There couldn't be any other way to know these things. And if you go further and read 
other scriptures, you find the, uh, 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 scriptures that confirm this, that they, they spoke in tongues, and that's how people know that they were baptized. Now, what does baptism do? This witnessing, let's see practically how it enhances the Christian uh, about his ability to witness for Christ. Acts 4, 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaking where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke the word of God with boldness, verse 33, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Great opposition, great power that supersedes, that, that beats, more powerful than the opposition. And God's way of helping them do that was to fill them afresh with the Holy Spirit. And then you go to Acts 14, 1. The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogues and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers with such power. That's why Jesus said, no, wait until you're empowered. So you can preach with such power too. Why? There's resistance to the gospel. Demonic resistance, human pride, ignorance, all manner of things that resist the word of God. I, I was telling some pastors, I said, so, preaching is spiritual engagement. You should pray very well. Don't think that because you are preaching and you understand it, that is good. everybody's on. No. Even in the house of some people, the devil is arguing against you. Arguing right there against you. Making some sleep. I say it's a spiritual battle where the light of the world comes and charges through the darkness in the house of people and breaks through it. The same thing where you are preaching the gospel. There's resistance in the house of people and this, this, you know. So when you are anointed to the level to which you are anointed, when you have the, the, the power of the Spirit working, and if God will give me that privilege, in, you know. We want to talk about walking in the fullness of the power. When you become divine bush that God sets on fire and the world starts watching, you become God's blazing, blazing bush. So the Holy Spirit, when he comes upon us, empowers us for this very important thing that people must be saved. Now, let's read some more examples here. In um, Acts 2, 37, Peter's word pierced their heart. It was a piercing, because I would say the resistance. It broke through it. It pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to other disciples, brothers. <laughs> they started calling them brothers right away. What should we do? It came about because they have been empowered with a superior power that would take care of all the oppositions in their heart. Even people, when you teach on the school, there are classes you go, it's so cool. The students, it's so cool. There's no life in that teaching. And they don't want to be there. There are classes you go, it's so alive. You know, it's so lively. You see the teacher really, really, really is equipped. It's so, it's, 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 there's so much, there's so much, so much flowing out of the teacher. The place is so charged. It's so alive. You can't afford but You know, everybody's like awake and something is happening there. People are receiving. People are receiving. 
It happens everywhere, not just church. Even when you talk with your children, sometimes, when you talk with them under, under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you, you notice there's, there's something that begins to happen. You, you, you see something happening. There's a move of God upon them. They're listening attentively, and you know, something is captivating them. When, when Dr. Larry was alive, I visited his office. And when I came in, his secretary ran away. And I got into his office, I told him, I said, your secretary ran away. He said, Pastor, he said, every time you talk, you're captivating her. So she said, I must have some native, doc, native doctor's power. He said, every time I hear that man, something is pulling me. So he said, that's why she ran away. All of us, it's not, that's not a, this is not a pastor thing. Every Christian baptized with the same Holy Spirit has the privilege and opportunity to exercise this power for the purpose for which God gave it. We should, we should, we should want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We should crave it. We should have a hunger to live a spirit-filled life. We should have it as a desire, a hunger. Let's go on to the doctrine of sanctification. Now, in this series of doctrine of sanctification, you're going to hear things that it's not very traditional, but it's scriptural. So what is sanctification? Let's start with what sanctification, san- sanctification is not. My mentor taught us that the best way to teach something is to teach people what it is not. So when you teach them what it is, they can understand it. So what, what sanctification is not? It's not a change of personality. Sanctification is not a change of personality. Your personality was given to you by God. That's why God created you that way. What you do with your personality is to hand it over to God to use. That's what you do. Because God has a need of your type of personality, has a need of this type of personality, has a need. That's why he created us with different personalities for different situations and different circumstances. So he uses us. There are, there are times he uses quiet people. There are times he uses people who are a little bit more active. You know, he gave us all of that for, because he knows in life there are different circumstances and different people are equipped for different circumstances. It's not a change of personality. You know, there is... This stereotype that is approved as sanctified and is gone around and people think it's true. If you're not quiet and ice water and act like Brother Henry, <laughs> Brother Henry is awesome. <laughs> I love this brother. You know, Brother Henry, I'm not knocking on you. <laughs> if you're not, yes, if you're not quiet and you know, if you walk into the church and you, are, you don't look something, you know, there's this stereotype. I don't know where people got it. It's not Bible. There's this stereotype of, and people are trying to be around, around pagan square holes and this causing stress. If you try to change your personality, you will not be able. You can do for a while and then, and then the devil accuses you of hypocrisy. Don't do that. Sanctification is not changing your personality. Be who God created you to be. But hand it over to God to use you at the moment and in a place where your personality type is required. So look at the scripture, 1 Corinthians 7, 19. For it makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. 
The important thing is to keep God's commandments. Yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. <laughs> remain as you were. Don't try to change your personality type. Leave it alone. Give it to God. God has need of it. That's why he made you like that. Peter was different. Paul was different. Everybody, you know, John was different. Everybody, and God gave the messages that their personalities could be used to. Paul was mere, a radical, you know, strong-headed, and then he went. Peter was the kind of one they say, you know. But God used him in the way that, where God used him, his, his, his shadow was doing stuff, man. He was preaching gospel. And Paul was the type, if you, he, he would get up, he was so passionate and such a zealous character that he, the God put him where it was hottest. He was so persecuted more than everybody else. He said, none of these things move me. So it's not a change of personality. First Corinthians 4, 7. For who makes you to be different from God? Is it not God that created you the way you are? Who makes you to be different from God? And what do you have that you did not receive? You received it from God. <clears throat> and number two, sanctification is not, the, it's not an outward display of religion or sanctimonious display that is intended for the gallery but lacks substance. Just making a show of being morally superior or self-righteousness. That's not sanctification. That's not sanctification. Thinking that, you know, you, you know, just acting like you are as holy as God. That's not sanctification. The way, you know, you like everybody ties here at 24 hours. And because of that, my wife told me a story. He said, I went to the market one time on the child because I had my hair tie tied. He said, ah, the people were calling, oh, sister, they were greeting me as sister. And she wasn't even born again. She became sister immediately. Because she tied her tie and, you know, wore Miriamaka, you know, which was normal at the age at the time. He said, if you see how they were greeting me, oh, sister, you came to market. People didn't know me. They ran to me, sister. But those who were not wearing it didn't deserve their love. You see why these things get, get sticky? Their love is reserved for her tie. But if you didn't wear it, you don't deserve her love. What brand of Christianity is that? Jesus died for everybody. And now we select. So it, 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 it does, it, I mean, it's not, it's not a sanctimonious display of, you know, holiness without substance. Matthew 23, 27. Who unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto white sepulchre, which indeed appear beautiful outside. Sister, good afternoon, sister. How are the children? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which indeed appear beautiful outside, outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, you are outward, you you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and, and iniquity. See, sanctification is not that sanctimonious outward display of superior moral character or something. Matthew 23, 5. 
everything they do is for sure. On their arms, they wear extra white prayer boxes with scripture verse inside, and they wear robes with extra light tassels. Everything is for sure. It's for the gallery. The Bible says that is not, it's not what God is talking about. God does not even see those things. That's the point. Look at 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's the, that's the main issue now. That's the main issue now. And then 2 Corinthians 5.12, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that we may have an answer for those who boast in appearance, and not in heart. They boast in appearance, but not in heart. Sanctification is not an outward display of religion. Or, you know. But when you are sanctified, your life will naturally show Christ. And by the time we see the purpose of sanctification, you really understand that a lot of wrong teaching has gone on. I mean, because this thing is trying to show sanctification from outside, but sanctification is from inside. That's the problem. It's not from outside. So what is sanctification? The verb form, because it's English word, the verb form means to set aside for special use or purpose by God. To set aside. Watch this one. To set aside. That something has already been set aside. It's in a state of it's sanctified, it's set aside for God's use and purpose. Like, I take this, I set it aside. Which means this is already sanctified for that purpose. That's the verb form. Then the noun form means the action of making something or declaring it holy. That noun is a process. The noun form says you are making that thing holy. You are making it holy. Holy. The first one says it's the state of where it is already holy set apart. Then the second one says the action of, 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 of making something or declaring it holy. So if we combine the noun definition and the verb definition, we can come up with something like this. Sanctification is a state. Something that is, is in a state that's holy and sanctified. So it's, it's a state in which something can be. A state of, of being holy. A state is in a state or a process of being made holy and set apart for special use by God. Let me say it again. Sanctification is a state. The, 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 the verb form says it's a, something that is holy, that has been set apart. Set apart. Now the noun said it's a process, it's an act of making. So you can now say that. You cannot say that sanctification is a state of something that's holy. It's already holy. Or a process of being made holy and set apart for special use by God. <clears throat> there is therefore a state of being made holy existing in that state. And there is therefore another process of making something holy. Now, 
we are going to consider sanctification along these three lines. The state of being, of being already holy. And then the, state, the process of making something holy. So we're going to consider sanctification from scriptures on these uh, lines. Now, let's start number one. The state of being holy is an internal work by the Lord Jesus. That's why it's not an external thing. It's an internal work. Jesus said, said that you have to start from inside to walk to the outside. In Hebrew 10.10, 10, it starts as salvation. In Hebrew 10.10, 10, for God's will for you, for us, is to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So when we come to Christ, we, have, we are in the state of holiness. We already be made holy by the blood of Jesus. When you come to Christ, you've been sanctified by the blood. So you are in that state. You've been made holy. You've been set apart for the purpose of God. In Romans 3, 24, yet God with undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous. So you see, in the, in the, in the verb form, you are already in that state. You are now a holy person in that state because God has declared you righteous. Declared that the righteous, he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin for our sins, 25. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrifices life. Once they believe, they are made right with God. They are made righteous. They are made holy. Shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. So, when you come to Christ, the blood makes you holy. You are in that state of holiness. Number two, the process of making somebody holy. Oh, no, let, let, let's, finish the, let's finish the state. The state. We haven't finished the state. I still have number two. Now, we are created holy in the new creation. So when we come to Christ, we are created holy. The blood makes us holy. We are created holy. Ephesians 4.24, put on your new man created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So you see, when you came to Christ, the blood made you holy, but in the new creation, you are created holy. So in a state of holiness, you are already holy. And number three, we are credited with the righteousness of Christ. Romans 5.17, I'm, um, I'm reading New Living Translation. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. So you see, the gift of righteousness. For all who receive it, we live in triumph over sin. And they through his, this one man, Jesus. In Romans 3, from 24, it says, For we, we all have sinned are in need of the glory of God. Yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely gives away his righteousness. His gift of love and favor now cascades over us, all because Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from the guilt and punishment and power of sin. So when we come to Christ, because our sins are washed away, God counts us righteous. And then God gives us the gift of righteousness, credits to all the righteousness of Christ. If God gives me opportunity, uh, by the grace of all get there, we're going to teach on Romans chapter 8 which is one of the most marvelous revelations in the entire New Testament. Romans chapter 8 holds incredible revelation 
in the, in the, in the early 18-something, 18, 18 they, they used to call it the Prince of Revelation. That's why I talked about everything about salvation and why Christ came and what he did. It's amazing, that Romans chapter 8. He said that Christ came because of sin. He came on account of sin. He came because of sin. To condemn sin in the flesh, to deal with it. He said what the law couldn't do, he did it. So that the, the righteous demand of the law is now ours. So his, the life he lived, his holiness, his obedience, is credited to us. So the righteous demand of the law on us, Christ said they have fulfilled it because I did it for them. So his, his righteousness is credited to us. He said the righteous demand of the law is now ours. Because Christ came and stood for me and obeyed God and did all this on my behalf. So when I come to Christ, Jesus said, you know, I did that for you. It's all yours. It's all yours. Because I came here on your behalf. I stood in for you. So when we come to Christ, we come to righteousness. God gives us the gift of righteousness. The blood washes us clean. And we are holy in that state of holiness. Again, Romans, Romans 4, 5. But no one earns God's righteousness. It can only be transferred when we no longer rely on our own works. We believe in the one who powerfully declares the ungodly to be righteous in his eyes. It is faith that transferred God's righteousness into our, our account. When we believe in Christ, God transferred Christ's righteousness, God's righteousness to us. So the Christian who has come to Christ, he's in the holy state. And therefore, the Holy Spirit calls you holy. In Hebrews 3, we are for holy brethren. Partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession of Christ Jesus. So we are holy brethren. In view of all the foregoing we've discussed, we are in the holy state. We'll be made holy, created holy, righteous in the eyes of God, washed in the blood. Our sins are forgiven. And we, you, a Christian, is in that holy state, in the definition of sanctification, you've been sanctified and made holy, set apart for God. Now, it says sanctification is a process of making somebody holy. That also applies to us. There is a process of experiencing this state of holiness that we are, that is inside us, the process of making it manifest outside. The process of making it manifest outside. If you didn't have it inside, you have nothing to manifest outside. The life we receive is holy and righteous because it's the life of God. Then this sanctification, the second definition, is a process of setting something apart and making it holy. It now it's a process of bringing out that holiness in you and making it becoming the dominant character of your life. And you can't do it. Only the power of God can do it. That's why the Holy Spirit can. Remember, we said that this character produced in us by Christ. That's why I said you are the branch. My life flows through. Branches don't bear fruit on their own. Say, without me, you can do. Nothing. So you can't do it on your own. 
That's why some teaching on sanctification puts the burden on you, you know, trying to do be holy, trying to do this, and you forget Christ completely. So 2 Corinthians 3.18 begins to tell us this process of sanctification. It said, but we are with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. We, when we begin to know Christ, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. That image we have in us, created in the image of God, begins to manifest out, outwards from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord does that. The Spirit of the Lord does that. That's why all this work of sanctification is all work of grace. From salvation, from making you, make, bringing it out, and then, you know, all of them, Paul said, it's the grace of God that made me what I am. So it is done through faith in the finished work of Calvary. In knowing that you are already made holy. In knowing what God has equipped you with. And so you can believe those things. And then those things begin to, when you believe, you activate the power of God. When you believe, you activate the power of God. That's what I was sharing the Wednesday when they did this yesterday. People say, I'm, I'm praying for him. Or I prayed for him. And this didn't happen. I usually ask them, what scripture did you stand on? Oh, no, Pastor, you know I have faith. No, you can't have faith like that. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. You don't have any word quickened in you. The Holy Spirit didn't give you any word. And yet you say you have faith. Where did it come from? Faith only comes from hearing, not audible voice. That's why I was saying on Sunday, go to Scripture, take your Bible, open the Bible again. Even if you know it, go, 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 go. What you are looking for is in that Bible, go read it again so that it will register in your heart. And the Spirit of God will quicken it. It will, it will like, like a light burst into you. That's when faith comes. That's when faith comes. And I was saying, if you, if you, Jesus said, look, let my word dwelling you richly. If you dwell in you richly, the Holy Spirit will go in the bank of what is in you and pull up a scripture at the time you need it, appropriate to remind you of it. Once he reminds you of it, you are ready to go, man. You are good to pray. You are good to go. You can take it to God in prayer. It's a check handed to you. But you don't have any scripture. Nothing is quickened in you. And you say, Pastor, I prayed for him. I have faith. Where did it come? Faith comes from hearing. You haven't heard anything. I'm not talking of audible voice. Nothing's been quickened in you. In your spirit, you don't have anything that you know God. You know, when I go to pray for people, I always ask them, did God tell you anything? Do you have anything in Scripture already? If they say yes, we go through it. I know God has already spoken to them because I know he speaks to each them. And then we use that Scripture to pray. Brethren, I, I don't know where I, it has failed. I've seen people in terrible situations. I walked into one. He said, yeah, God gave me this scripture. I said, yes, that's, he has sent it to heal you. So we used it and lifted that scripture to God and we jointly prayed. That woman was healed. DNA, DNA changed. This is DNA issue. They say we never had children again. She had. So through faith in the finished work of Calvary, we activate this power that, 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 that push, kills this flesh and makes the, life, the new life manifest. Galatians 3.20 For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. All of us are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. 27. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, 
have put on the character of Christ. Once you have come into Christ, you are united with him. You have a shared life with him. Your spirit is joined with him. You need to know these things and believe it's true. For it to manifest, you have to believe it's true. As you behold these things, the Holy Spirit transforms you, brings it out, pulls it from out of inside of you, and makes it manifest. He said, you have put on the character of Christ like putting on a new cloth because you have been joined with his spirit. You have his life. You having a shared life with Christ. That's why you are joint hair. A joint hair means you are, you are, joint, you are co-hair. Your life is co-live with him. We got to believe these things. Second Peter 1.3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Everything. Everything. Point is, do I even know them? Do I even know them? We have received all of this by coming to know him. See, this process of sanctification is to bring these things God has given you to make it work, for you to deploy them. And because you don't see them, so it's in the realm where only your faith can bring it into reality. Sanctification is not, oh, I want to be holy. Paul said in chapter 7 of Romans, he said, I tried those things. I wanted to be good. I found I'm doing the wrong thing. But that's what people are trying to do. And Paul said, okay, I found out that the answer is Christ. That's where we are. The answer is always Jesus. So 2 Peter 1 said, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Everything. We have received all of this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us, he has given, 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 given. Past this, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable us, nothing else enables me to share in this new life. Except the promises, the promise of eternal life. All the promises are fulfilled in Christ. Everything I need to live is in Christ. Once I receive Christ, the Bible says it's my sufficiency. I have everything. He is all and all. He's everything I need. In Christ is everything I need. He is all I need. I'm, I'm good to go. I'm complete. But do we see Jesus like that? He said, these are promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world corruption caused by human desire. Say these, these are the promises that set you free from the corruption of human nature and the world around you. It, you are not set free by, by your by, by conditions. No, no, no. Freedom is from the Son of God. Freedom, the truth, you must know the truth for that truth to set you free. The truth is about Jesus and what he has done on the cross. The promises he has already fulfilled. My brothers and sisters, in Christ there is no more promise. What you have is the truth and reality now. The promises have become fulfilled, completed. So it has become complete payment, complete truth, complete reality. It's done. Jesus said it's finished. Don't have the mentality of promise. Switch it to mentality of something finished. Something that is now the truth. It is absolute truth. It was truth. It is truth. 
It's reality now. It's not going to fulfill. It's already yours. Already finished. That's why I say you are now a partaker of divine nature. Because why? Because he created you to be like him in Christ. And his life is joined to your own. All these are promises that God promised that is fulfilled in Christ for us. He said, I give you a new heart. I will take away the stony heart. Talking about life. A new spirit I will put within. I will write my laws in your heart. He poured his love into us. So we have to know these things and believe them for them to work. Look at Colossians 3.10. Spending a little time here. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. It's not an ignorance that you, this process of sanctification takes place. No. It's in knowledge. Become like him. In, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. He lives in you right now. He lives in me. You know, Paul said that the true taste of true faith is, do you realize that God lives in you? He said, if you don't realize that, he said, your faith is not real. The truth, he said, the true taste of real faith is whether you have realized that Christ lives in you. Because he's everything. Bringing his life to us. His light. He is everything. He's all I need. He's all you need. And he was, Paul was right. He said, you don't need all these laws, man-made laws. But they, they say, no, you are complete in Christ. So all this thing that is outside of Christ is coming from human mind that's not connected to the truth. Christ is the truth. We have everything. They have to reckon. Romans 6, 6 says, we know. Do you know that? Say, we know that our old sinful self was crucified with Christ. That we come to know that. Because when we start knowing these things, the truth you know starts to work for you. He said, Paul didn't say we uh, No, he said, we know. We know that our old sinful self was crucified with Christ so that the sin, so that sin might lose its power in our life. If I know that, if I believe that, it becomes a reality. The process of sanctification. The process of being made holy. But God is working this thing that is putting me into the outside to deal with the flesh. The flesh is not this thing. Listen to me. I used to think that this is the flesh. This is flesh. But I used to think that this is the problem. No, no. This is not the problem. No, no, no. no. Because this thing obeys something. Your, this thing, my hand obeys something. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says you should surrender it as instruments of righteousness. What is making it? So I can make it instrument of righteousness. I can make it instrument of unrighteousness. So the problem is not this. It is that thing that making it to be instrument of righteousness and unrighteousness, that's where the trouble is. And that's human will that was corrupted when man fell. Yeah. If I can make this instrument of righteousness, or I can, I, it was a surrender it as instrument, then it means that it is not this that is the problem. 
Because I can always make it this or this. So what is that that makes it my will? Human, the, my, my tendency to do this in my natural state. The Bible said the, the heart of man is wicked. It hates God naturally. He said the carnal man will never obey God. Carnal man, say he doesn't like God. Don't even understand God. I used to think that flesh, I used to point out that this is your flesh, but I'm like, wait a minute. If this is the flesh, what is it that makes it instrument of righteousness? And instrument? There is something else. I realize that it's what the Bible says, the soul of man needs to be delivered by the word of God. Needs to be delivered. Onyeka was preaching along that line one time. He said, when you get born again, realize that you don't always obey God. And you know God said, don't do this, but you are doing it. There's this, there's this human will, people. It's the natural tendency of man to, to rule himself. That's why renewal of the mind is key. Because that's why, what knocks it out and makes your mind subject to the will of God. Makes it under the control of the spirit. The more your mind is renewed with knowledge, the more it's freed from the human, the human will that controls it. It's our comfort zone to do things our way. It makes us comfortable. We know, we understand it. Am I communicating? I told you this question is not the way you in the traditional they teach it to. So Romans 6, we are reading it from verse 6. We know that our old sinful self, we are crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our life. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we die with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. When I know this and this begins to take hold of my innermost will, it begins to introduce the reality of this truth. The light begins to shine. As I begin to believe it, the light begins to shine. My sanctification process of bringing what is inside outside begins to come out of inside of me. Not the one that, that I do from outside, you know, Santimonos, tie hair, and do this. But inside, is full of ignorance. And Jesus said, my people, my people perish for ignorance. That's why the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. Practically impossible. But we try without faith. Verse 10, Romans 6, verse 10. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. He took, I told you, Jesus came to deal with sin. To break the power of sin. But now that he lives... He lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin. Knowledge. Consider it to be true. Oh, my own. Will you hear Christians? Oh, my own is anger. You wonder whether they, they, they read, read Bible. Your own is not anger. The new creature is created in the image of God. That's not his, his own is righteousness and holiness. The point is, we come to church, we don't take scripture serious. Because we don't believe in the power of the word of God. And we wonder why it's not working. We don't take scripture serious. We don't take study of the scripture serious. Many people come to church who don't take scripture serious. Brethren. Oh. 
If you don't have a hunger, you won't be filled. I'm not joking. I sent my son something he was reading. The place of hunger in our lives. To have a hunger to know Christ. Paul has a voracious hunger to know Jesus. He said nothing else compares with the knowledge of knowing Christ. Nothing. Your PhDs. You, nothing. He said no knowledge comes near. He went after it. He don't find that hunger anymore. People are casual. Come to church, they go home. So the Bible, they may not. I'm preaching this. I want you to hear. They won't come. God gave us what? Singing it here. I'm the Lord that he laid the I said, singing it here through charity. God said, I've sent you the word to heal. You think people think it's serious? They won't take it serious. Ooh. Some will, some will not. <laughs> they will hear that they won't do it. They won't do it. And God said, do this morning, evening, do it. They won't. Consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin. Consider it. The life through Christ Jesus. So do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Paul was talking about. He died in Second Corinthians 5, 15. He died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from human point of view. Do you still evaluate yourself from human point of view? At one time, we thought of Christ merely from human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The process of sanctification is the word of God purifies your heart. Purifies your heart, purifies your thinking, renews it. So you start thinking along the line of the truth that the Holy Spirit reveals. This, these things we are not written for, some, for joking. It's a real truth that we should live by. And then the thought process of sanctification is, the, is the, you know, the final holiness. They call it the permanent holiness that we receive when Christ comes. In Philippians 3, 20, 21. But we are citizens of heaven. We are the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal body and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So we're going to receive another, another body. That body, when we receive it, that is it. Date, where is their power? Down. So, Bible, Bible students call it permanent holiness. Some call it, you know, but that's a fact that there's a body that Christ said you give, you give us when He comes. And Paul wrote in Romans 8 23, you can read it on your own, 23 to 24. It talks about how we're grown in this body, waiting for that new body. We're groaning, we're really groaning, and we do. Now, what is the place of prayer and sanctification? It is praying for revelation. Philippians 1.9. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you keep on growing. Listen to this prayer. You keep on growing in knowledge and understanding 
For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives. That's how it works. I want you to understand what really matters. The law <laughs> doesn't matter. What matters is Christ. So that you may live pure and blameless life until the day of Christ's return. Prayers for revelation. So that I will know these truths, believe them. He said, I want you to know what really matters. Cut out what doesn't matter. All that matters is Christ and him crucified. So it's an eternal work. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 25, what sorrow awaits you teachers in religious law? And you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are fitting, full of greed, self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean. Sanctification process is not an outside process. It's an inside process. You first washed inside, which Christ did when we came to him, washed us, created us new, made, put us in the state of holiness. And now the process is bringing that which is inside to outside. He said, Pharisees, you go to the outside. You don't bother about the inside. It's an internal work done by the Spirit of Christ. So all of these three references we've talked about, they are all works of grace. Now, let's look at the goal of sanctification. What the goal of all these things is to reveal the life of Christ through man. Just like Jesus revealed the life of the Father through his, through his life. Let's look at Jesus, our example. John 14, 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So now, how can you say, show me the Father? That is the goal of all of this. Same way, we are supposed to be a reflection of Christ. This Christ that lives in us is supposed to reveal. He wants to reveal himself through us. Look at 1 Peter 2 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a dedicated nation, God's own purchased special people. Why? That you may set forth the wonderful deeds and display and display the virtues and perfections of him. It's not about laws. And <laughs> no, no, it is him inside that has been displayed. It's not following all the denominational things from men. No, it's Christ that's being displayed. When you are displaying the nature of Christ, you will dress well. You will dress up properly. Because he says in his word, do all things decently and in order. You, you don't have option because that's his nature. He's not an indecent person. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a dedicated notion, God's own purchase, special people, that you may set forth the wonderful this and display the virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the goal, people. Paul put it this way, Galatians 4.19. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I am going through labor pains for you again. And he said, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your life. Until you become a perfect expression of the virtue and character of Christ. Brethren, that's the goal of all of this is. 
That's why I hate it. It's not that I'm good, very good Christian. No, no, no. It's Paul said, until Christ is developed fully and you become a perfect expression. And it's a lifelong process. You, you don't arrive. We go from glory to glory. Ephesians 4, 13. These grace ministries about, that God gave to the church will function until we all attain oneness into the faith, until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God, and finally, we become one into a perfect man with a full dimension of spiritual maturity, fully developed in the abundance of Christ. I'm reading TPT. The abundance of Christ. And then, listen, and then our immaturity will end. This carnal life will be, will be nowhere near you. The spirit life will be the main dominant life. And we will not be easily shaken by troubles. You know, you'll be walking in the faith of Christ. It's not just his virtues, his power, his faith, his love, his compassion. You'll be walking in his faith. You walk in the same faith he walked in. Easily shaken by trouble, nor led astray by novel teachings or by false doctrines or deceivers. Quit teach clever lies. But instead, we will remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express the truth. All our direction and ministries will flow from Christ and lead us deeper into him, the anointed head of the body of the church. That's the purpose of this. That Christ be fully formed in me. So that if I'm talking, that's Christ, everything. You know how they identified the disciples of Jesus, they, they have been with Jesus. I read a testimony of one brother who, who, who God said to me, see, I want you to go, I want to go and preach the gospel to the government officials. And this brother will come in. And the people, the rich story, will be looking at him. He said, we are saying something. The glory of Christ enveloped him. Pray then, this is true story. The glory of Jesus. He's, he walked in and they were, everybody, every office he walked in, the, the glory of Jesus was outflowing from him. That's, what it, that's where he's going. The glory of Jesus. And they were all sober. They were all sober. The glory of Jesus. He has, he has so developed in his spiritual life. He has so yielded. He has, he has had this serious hunger to be like Christ. It was his burning desire in prayer and everything that God said, I'm sending you somewhere. He walked in and every office he went to, the glory of Christ enveloped him. It's like a halo all around him. Let us pray. Our precious Father, we just want to thank you again for what you've taught us. Sanctification. It's not a religious thing. 
is an eternal work that you do so that you bring us into perfect unity with you, into perfect union with you, so that your purpose of giving us your life, which is to reveal your glory, reveal you to the world, will be fully done. It's not about I'm a good man, I'm a good woman, trying to impress you with our goodness, no. It's about you flowing, outflowing, being a full expression of you. So when we talk, you talk. You want to love the world through us. You want to touch people through us. You want to show them how much you love them. So that will become expression of your virtue and your perfections. That's what it's all about. Because that's when you, the, our life becomes a true witness, really, through our actions. You say, let this light so shine. You are the light. So when they see, they will glorify God. Father, thank you for teaching us. And we trust you that you'll break it down for us. Some people are hearing this for the first time. That you'll break it further down for us so we understand it all. Thank you, merciful Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.